great to be here with you today. All right, so have you ever had one of those moments in your life where you're just like, wait, wait, what just happened? <laughs> I get you, Cindy. I have two distinct memories. <clears throat> the first one was the, when I was watching the show Lost. Um, and if you've ever watched the show, it's actually a fairly decent show. Um, I'm going to read to you the description of it because it's a better description than what I came up with. Um, the past, present, and future lives, or the past, present, and future lives of surviving Oceanic Flight 815 passengers are dramatically intertwined as flight for survival ensues in quest for answers after crash landing on a mysterious island. Each discovery prompts yet more secrets as the hastily formed colony search for a way off the island. Or is this their home? The plot twist, or the plot twisted and turned for six seasons, and then came the very last episode, the, the season, or the series finale, and spoiler alert, it's not what you think. In the end, you find out that the entire cast has died, and they're attending their own funeral, right? This made me mad, because in this show, I had so much hope that you know, they were going to make their way home and that they were going to be reunited with their families and now they're at their own funeral. And I was livid and I walked away from that show. I will never watch it again. We'll put it that way. <laughs> but another experience I had, I was in fifth grade and we were learning math. And I was struggling with the number nine. I just couldn't, for whatever reason, gather the number nine. And then my math teacher taught me a trick. Some of you guys may know it. Some of you may not but I learned you can do multiplication on your fingers, right? And so for me, this is like my favorite math trick ever. Kids, are you paying attention? I'm gonna teach you to multiply by nine right now. Ready? So if I were to multiply nine by two, I get the number 18, one and eight. 18, right? Fascinating. If I were to multiply by, uh, let's say seven, I get 63, six and three. Okay, it's fascinating. In fact, I became so fascinated with this that I learned to love the number nine. It's probably my favorite number, and John told me the other night that I was wrong because nine is the wrong number to love. I don't know, right? I became so fascinated with it, though, that I learned different um, patterns within it. So again, if I multiply um, nine by, well, say, eight, or nine by nine, you get 81. And if you add eight and one together, you get nine. Or if I do by six, or by, yeah, by five. Sorry, I'm doing it backwards for you guys. If I do five, you get 45, four and five equals nine. Every number in the multiplication of nine, if you add the two numbers in the end together, equals nine. Or the other cool one, and then I promise I'll stop talking about the number nine, is that if you look in the numbers, so nine times one equals nine, two times two, or two times nine equals 18. If you look at it, the tens factor goes in ascending order from zero to nine. If you multiply nine times whatever, or nine times the number um, through 10. In descending order, it goes from nine to zero, right? Or for in the ones place. It's fascinating to me. I love the number nine. The end result of this wait, wait, what moment for me is just a love for not just the number nine, but a love for math. Um, Little did I know that that would lead me to teaching middle schoolers math later on, right? But these wait, 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 what moments, they're big moments, and they were game changers for me. 
And I, I can only imagine what Nicodemus might have been feeling um, when he approached Jesus. He was a, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he felt like he needed to encounter this Jesus more. So he approached Jesus in the night. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are reborn. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, you, were to, or you speak of what you know, and we testify of what we have seen, but you still do... But you still, but you still people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man, just as Moses has lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up to everyone that believes May, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Father, today we come to you asking that you give us ears to hear. Soften our hearts to your transformative work. Open your eyes to see your glory surrounding us. Prepare our hands and feet to do your work in the world. Amen. So we often give the Pharisees a bad rap, right? When we think, well, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Those guys there think that they know what's best, right? And sometimes it's for good reason, but for what we fail to see is that they were a group of Jews devoted to upholding God's covenant. They focused on their studies and their attention to reading and interpreting scriptures so that the Jews might know the story of God through the Jewish lens. So to me, it's no surprise that Pharisees have questions and reservations about this new guy, Jesus, who steps on the scene. He's claiming that he is the God that they worship. And now he's teaching what seems to be contrary to what they know to be a foundational core of their entire being. They're not directly opposing Jesus, but they don't know how much ab or much about him, so they're cautiously curious, and some are untrusting of him, and some are still threatened by him. Uh, within the Pharisees, there's this group of men comprising of the Jewish council. Now, the Jewish council was a, a group of um, elevated men who they were the ones that knew the scriptures more, they interpreted the scriptures more, they reported back to the high priest, right? They kind of looked around and they knew what was going on, not only in the Jewish community, but in the Roman community, because not only did they report back to the high priest, but they reported back to the Romans 
and so they were kind of the special, the elite. Um, they were the teachers of all the teachers, so to speak. Um, and that's the, the line that Nicodemus fell into. Um, so not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee uh, bent on upholding Jewish laws and rules and traditions, but he was also a member of the high council or he was Israel's teacher so that they might have an understanding of who God was. Nicodemus is a little bit different than the other Pharisees, though. Instead of being in opposition to Jesus, or instead of saying, like, I don't trust that guy, he was cautiously curious about Jesus. Um, In fact, he's so curious about Jesus that he goes out of his way to approach Jesus in the silence of the night. He can't go during the day because if he goes during the day, The other Pharisees are going to be like, hey, why is this guy approaching Jesus? They're going to be skeptical about where Nicodemus' loyalties lie. Um, So he doesn't go in the day. Instead, he goes in the night. Um, He steps out of his comfort zone to approach Jesus. Not sure what will come of it, but he wants to see who this Jesus guy is and just kind of figure him out. He doesn't come seeking answers. Nowhere in there does Nicodemus start the question with, who are you? He says, we know that you, rabbi, teacher, we know that you must be the son of God. Right? He's establishing to him, or not the son of God, sorry. We know that you must be from God because only somebody from God can do what you're doing. So he's recognizing Jesus is not just another person, but he's not recognizing Jesus as the son of God. Um, so Nicodemus comes to him not wanting to learn but only wanting to get a feel for Jesus and Jesus responds to him in a way that makes everybody say what? Jesus responds as though Nicodemus is a disciple Um, Jesus then tells Nicodemus that if he wants to be a part of the kingdom of God something he already thought he understood that he was going to have to be reborn. Wait, what? That was his response. Like, how can I, I can't climb back into my mother's womb? What does this even mean? So for Nicodemus, his mind is blown and really confused. Um, And as Christians, we think we understand what this means. After all, it's been a part of our doctrine that has been taught for, well, since this moment. Reality is, do we really know what Jesus was saying here? Do we really understand what Jesus was saying here? It's entirely understandable that Nicodemus, in his humanness, says, wait, wait, what? For surely it's impossible for this to happen. Nicodemus had the understanding that only babies are born and that as an adult, we can't be reborn. Um... Jesus wants to, Nicodemus to understand what he is saying, though. He's saying that one must be willing to be made through, made new through salvation that only comes from above. That to be reborn is only something that can come from God. And once born, then one can see the kingdom of God for what it truly is. And they can see God at work in the world around them. When one is born of God, they see God in all things. 
But what Nicodemus didn't understand was that he was not qualified to be born of God. None of us are. In all of eternity, none of us are qualified to be born of God. But he can still receive the spiritual birth, not because of anything he did or he would ever do, but because right here Jesus is saying that one can be rebirthed by the Spirit. It's a gift that is being freely given by God, and all Nicodemus has to do is choose to accept it. Um, Jesus also wants him to know that the Spirit can do and go wherever the Spirit pleases, and that those that stop and those that listen to the Spirit are going to be the ones that hear him. Just like those that stop and pay attention to the wind are going to know it's blowing, when we stop and pay attention to the Spirit, we'll know the Spirit's working. And this is amazing. Nicodemus is still like, wait, what? There's more? And his curiosity is even more piqued. And he points out that Nicodemus is a high teacher. Again, I told you, Nicodemus is like among a group of men who is right underneath the high priest. And Jesus is like, you're a high teacher, and you can't understand even what it means to be born, let alone be reborn. Um, And that Jesus is kind of saying, you're not going to ever understand spiritual birth until you understand human things. Which I know sounds confusing, but hang on. Here Jesus is shifting the mindset from Nicodemus being the teacher to now Nicodemus is the student and Jesus is the teacher of all Israel. Um, He's a new teacher, though, with a different message. Now keep in mind, up to this point, the Jews were teaching that the kingdom of God was for who? The Jews, right? Nobody else can get in. It's just for the Jews. But Jesus' message doesn't seem to be coming across that way. Jesus' message is saying the kingdom of God is for everyone. Look at who he's fo- who's following him. It's not just Jews. It's Gentiles. It's like some not great people. And you've got Matthew who ripped people off for a living, and he's following this Jesus guy, right? Um So he's teaching a new message that the the kingdom of God is for all people. And it's a threat to the Pharisees because it takes the message of of God away from the control of the Jews. Um, From this point on, we don't hear from Nicodemus again. We don't know if Nicodemus left the room. We don't know if Nicodemus um, just ran away because he's like, what in the world is going on here? Or if he just stopped to listen. We just know that he is now silent. But Jesus wanted the people in the room to know this, that it's more than just a spiritual rebirth. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. He wanted them to know that God is giving the gift of his Son so that all might know him, that all might have the chance to be with him in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. But there's more to that. He also said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He sent his son. He wanted Nicodemus and the crowd to know that Jesus was sent to this earth not to condemn, but to save us all. He wanted the crowd to know, I've come to save you. Um, The believers know that God's son is salvation. And that God sends his son to con- not to condemn, but to save. They also ought to know that it is not them who offers judgment or salvation of the world. 
that's the other thing Jesus wanted to let the Pharisees know or the Jews know. It's not just on them, or it's not on them to bring condemnation into the world. It's not on them to judge the world. That, that's for Jesus to do, because only Jesus can bring that salvation. Now, this is a lot to digest, and it might hit closer to home than we would like to admit or to think. You see, we as Christians, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. We have been born again. We know and we understand that God is the creator of our world. We know that God is at work in the world and that we have been set apart and made holy. We as Christians, now I'm talking like, don't forget, that we're not the only Christians in the world in this room, right? I'm talking all over the world. <laughs> um, we think that we have the right kind of understanding of God. We read our Bibles and pray daily. We interpret scriptures. We are confident in our understanding of who God's salvation belongs to and of whom God loves, which is great. But this isn't this what the Pharisees did also? Now, this one stings for me because I was raised in the church. I was eight when I was saved. I was baptized. I was sanctified when I was 26. I've not left the church because um, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to stay in the church. So how could I possibly be a Pharisee? Right? I've been reborn and I call myself a disciple. So how can I be a Pharisee? Here's how. We as the big church, the church around the world, read and interpret and study the scriptures. We've passed these scripture teachings of Jesus on to the next generation of believers. We have become dedicated to teaching holiness according to our own understanding of holiness. Again, this is great, but there's more. We say we cannot earn our way into heaven and that everyone's out welcome, but we have a laundry list of things that you have to do in order for you to attend church or to be a Christian. Um, and if you don't do these laundry list of things, heaven forbid that you enter these doors. We also set up moral rules and guidelines that have become restrictive to, for people to feel like they can enter church. We say we want to be a follower of Christ, uh, or to be a follower of Christ, you have to follow these rules, wear the right clothes, talk, look the right way, speak the right words, and then once you conform to our list, then you can be in the club. The church worldwide has become the judge and jury as to who or who cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, I say the church is a lot like the Pharisees, unfortunately. The church has become the judge and jury. We've, we even decide who can or cannot enter the church doors. We teach everyone to love, but we're quick to cancel out those who do not have anything in common with us or those that we don't like. We speak compassion and mercy, but tell people that they can come to church when they fix themselves. We speak about feeding the hungry, but many churches do nothing for the starving in their own neighborhood. We preach clothing those who are naked, but many are unwilling to empty their closet of unused clothes to give away. We preach being good stewards of our money, but many churches hoard their wealth. We preach from our head to toes, but our heart knowledge is not lived out. In other words, we speak of what we know, but we do not live what we speak. We have made a faith 
we have made faith about a list of things um, we do and we don't do. We, we teach those t lists to the next room, and we don't give much room for questions or interpretation. We, we do a lot of this is what I said, this is what it is, and just accept it. We get caught up in this sticking to this list that we fail to show love, compassion, and mercy to the world that is around us. And if we are not careful for ourselves, we step into the pitfalls that uh, of Phariseeism, through the Phariseeism. Again, this sermon is a, it hits ho close to home. It's a hard sermon to preach. But we have the opportunity to become Nicodemus. We can be Nicodemus, cautiously curious about Jesus, willing to go to Jesus and break the cycle of what it means to be a Pharisee. Nicodemus knew as a Pharisee that approaching Jesus was going against everything he knew to be good. Now, we say, well, I, it's good to approach Jesus. I know it's good to approach Jesus. him with where we are at in life, then we can hear what God has to say. Then we can hear, for God so loved the world. Then we can hear that you have been reborn in this new life. So let's go back to our wait, wait, what moments that I listed before. The, sh the TV show my wait, wait, what moment was this did not go the way that I wanted it to, and I got mad, and I left it. The other one was, wait, wait, what? There's something new and exciting here? And I became impassioned about this thing. We can have the same responses when it comes to being reborn. And I'm here, I'm not going to continue to say reborn. I'm going to say spiritually born because that's really what this is. It's a spiritual birth. And we have the opportunity to have these two responses when we hear that Jesus wants us to come to him, to be spiritually birthed through him. We can either say, no, nah, I don't want any part of that. I want to live the life that I've lived. I want to stay comfortable. I'm not about that life, Jesus. Or we can say, Yes, Jesus, I want you to spiritually birth me again. And I want to be impassioned about this. I want to go and I want to tell the world how exciting this really is. So we can walk away unchanged or we can walk away with new life. 
in our approach to Jesus, he wants us to know that we can be born from God. We can be birthed out of the spirit. Wait, what? Many of us have heard this phrase over and over again. But even now, we can be birthed of the spirit. With the breath that he breathes into us, he gives us new life every day. It's a gift that nobody or nothing else can give us. It is a gift that only comes from God. And we choose to receive it. We can choose to say yes or no, I'm not about that life, right? There are no qualifications for this gift. Nothing we have ever said, nothing we've done, no matter how we look, how we smell, what we think. We can choose this gift because Jesus is offering this new life to us. He's offering us this spiritual rebirth. Know, just like our human birth, how many of you guys are still babies? Right? No, we're all at different stages in our lives, right? We all grow, we all mature, we all develop. Our spiritual birth doesn't end at Jesus saying, here, I've come to die for you, now live for me. It doesn't end there. Our spiritual life doesn't stop at birth. We cannot remain stuck in our infancy and being a believer. And Paul gets pretty upset about that, right? He says, you're spiritual infants. You're not ready for what I've offered, but we shouldn't be stuck there. We must let our faith grow. If we don't let our faith grow, that's where we start to toe the line of falling back into being a Pharisee again. Because our faith growing means that our mindset is changing and, and we're starting to see God at work in the world around us. We're starting to see how we impact the world around us. And we have been offered the same spirit that is in Jesus, to do the same that Jesus did, to offer the same love and compassion and mercy that Jesus offered. And if we don't grow in our faith, we don't grow in our love, we don't grow in our compassion, we don't grow in our mercy. And then when we're not growing, we tend to fall back into old habits. We mature in our faith, realizing that to be a follower of Jesus, we must not speak merely words. We must also live as he lived. So where does this life come from? I've said it a, a couple of times, but I'll just say it again. This life comes not only from a breathing in and out of the spirit into our daily life, but it comes from the love and the eternity that God gives us through Jesus. And it comes from Jesus being sent out into the world, not for condemnation, but for salvation. When we live like Jesus, we show the world the love that Jesus offers for all of eternity. And when we live like Jesus, we offer the world salvation and not condemnation. The world is going to know that those Christians don't care that I smoke 10 packs a day because Jesus loves me anyway. And Jesus is going to deal with me on that. Because it's not our responsibility to deal with people's addictions. It's Jesus' responsibility to deal with people's life. Right? 
Nicodemus approached Jesus in the night. He approached Jesus in the dark, in the silence. He approached Jesus because what he was doing was contrary to what everybody thought he should be doing. But he approaches Jesus. He hears that he can be born again and um, that he can receive a life transformed by the Spirit. He was confronted with his status as an Israel's teacher. He was confronted at the core of his being. Then he goes silent. Again, we don't know where he went, but he goes silent. My hope is that he's listening to what Jesus is saying. And he is soaking in these words of what it means to be born of the Spirit. Each week in the series, we're talking about a Lenten discipline. Last week, Pastor Will talked about fasting and the importance of fasting. This week, it's silence. That's why I keep emphasizing the night, the discomfort, because when's the last time we stopped with no sound, no distractions, and just sat in the silence, right? I don't know, because it's uncomfortable. It's hard to sit in the silence. So this week, we're going to practice the discipline, or rather the gift of silence. I encourage you to sit in silence with Jesus, to approach him ready to hear what he wants you to say. Sit in the silence and allow him to challenge you at the core of who you are. In the silence, soak in the idea that God wants to birth you. He wants to give you new life so that you might truly live in the spirit each day. In the silence, may your faith be matured. In the silence, allow the Spirit to speak to you and transform you so that you are not stuck in your, new, or in your rebirth, but so that you live the life that the Spirit breathes into you each day. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you blow in the silence, that your Spirit moves in the silence. In the silence, may the the rules and the restrictions blow away that are stopping me from trusting you and from risking loving others. Take away my sin that stands in the way of encountering my neighbors. In the silence, ready me for my spiritual birth. In the silence, prepare me for the risk of loving others. In the silence, equip me with courage and vision for the new things that wait around the corner. We can't choose what we have inherited, but Heavenly Father, we can choose what we do. We can choose who we become. Work with us in the silence, Lord. In Jesus' name.